Hello and welcome to episode four of the Can We Just Ask podcast. I'm Annie. And I'm Will. And today we are joined by James McVeigh, a name and face you may recognise from the number one selling world-renowned band, The Vamps, but whose work extends far beyond his music. James is working to stand for greater support in men's mental health and in this episode we get to chat about why and how he's using his platform and voice to create change. As one of Tom's change makers, it is a pleasure to share this episode beyond the studio and we hope you find it as engaging as we do. As you might be able to hear, my voice is going a little bit, so Will, you can take over from here. If you really love this episode, you'll be pleased to know that James is also joining us and three other panellists at our panel on the 24th of September to discuss masculinity. Tickets are on sale now, they're £5, and if you want to join us, that would be absolutely amazing. And all of that £5 goes to our charity partner, The Mix. And with that being said, in this conversation, we talk about a lot of personal experience. Everything is coming from just us as individuals. We aren't professionals, so if you are going through a bad time or you just want to talk to someone, please seek professional advice. The Mix are a great place to start. They provide essential support to under 25-year-olds, so if you do want to speak to anyone, please do reach out. Also, if you do like what you hear in this conversation, we would love to hear from you. We want to extend the conversation beyond just this little box that we're sat in. So you can let us know what you think. You can ask us questions on social media. We're at Can We Just Ask on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you really love the episode, please just give us a subscribe and a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It makes a really big difference. Without any further ado, let's get on with the episode. And this is our conversation with James McVeigh, entitled How Do We Define Man? The only way you create change is by standing up and campaigning for those things you care for. If we hold ourselves individually to hire a cat, the world will be a better place. For me, communication is, is the key to absolutely everything. How can we all save the what world? it means to be a man or indeed a human. There's no such thing as a stupid question. The Can We Just Ask podcast starts conversations that matter. We're really excited to be joined by you, James. How are you doing? Thank you. That introduction was great. I might have to take that and use it ahead of every one of our shows you do coming through the speakers. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, th- thanks for having me. Uh, always good to chat. And um, here we are. Here we are. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that introduction or have we, have we basically covered you <laughs> in two lines? I got asked this the other day and uh, I was on a radio show and my mate was like, what do you want me to introduce you as? And I was like, say my name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have like a, a title. <laughs> That'd be good though, wouldn't it? Lord. Lord Lord James McVeigh. <laughs> For the rest of the episode, we'll refer to you as Lord James Lord McVeigh. McVeigh. If I forget, you. you can just tell just remind me. Okay, yeah. Got <laughs> it, got Lord. It, little nudge. So I, I want to I get straight into the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel really happy and excited that we can sit here as us as two men and with Annie in the room as well and actually talk candidly about male mental health, mm-hmm. male body image and, and masculinity and... I think it is a sign of the times that um, that we are able to do this and we're able to do this openly. And I think it's really important. And so I, I guess like like all good therapy sessions, we should we should begin at the start. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to know can you can you remember the first time you formed an opinion of what a man should be or what a man is, and and what what did that image look like to you? It's um. It's interesting because I think a lot of us don't really think about the journey that we've each taken to get to a certain viewpoint on on a subject. And uh, for me, I wrote an article a few years ago and I was thinking about when I was a child what I thought I wanted to be when I was older and it was a soldier. And I was like, that's weird because 
I'd be a rubbish soldier because I'm lazy for one, which my <laughs> other half would say. But I was thinking, why? Why is my perception of success formed in you know a soldier? Um, mm. And it was because all the toys I played with were those little green men, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually still really like. <laughs> um, I made, I put together little aircrafts, and I played Warhammer, and I played Call of Duty. And and if it wasn't that, then, you know, all the images of men on the TV would be like strong action heroes, like bulletproof that would, you know, dust, dust fire off them like it's nothing. <laughs> um, and I, and I realized that actually that it, it, it's impossible really for people of my generation to not see a man in that in that image. And I think that's yeah, that's probably the first time I I thought that's what a man should in inverted commas be. Yeah, I, I think a lot of boys of of a certain age as well see that soldier figure Mm. and that figure that's portrayed in the media and and they think that is what i've got to aspire to be but and there are maybe some qualities in that that are worth aspiring to but that it's the qualities that maybe form this hard image of what a man should be like that actually isn't healthy because we 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 look at the wrong qualities Mm. i think yeah I, i think um it it comes back to I always say this, but I think if you think about the traits that typically British people have, it's that keep calm, carry on, suppress how you feel, stiff upper lip. And I think it originates from the Victorian era where, you know, men go out and, and make the money and, and do the hard stuff and the women stay at home. And, and I think, you know, that's obviously catastrophic for, for, for women and women's rights. But also if you look at in a man's, man's perspective, you have that real that real burden of having to provide for the family, be the breadwinner. Um, and it started there, and then you carry on through to the First and Second World War, where the people that were deemed successful were the people that were returning home that had, you know, like destroyed a tiger tank and, and only had a bruise and, and, and all that stuff. And I think it's just spiralled into this, into this position where we still have these gender constructs and stereotypes uh, for men in present day. Um, and it's about unpicking them and recognising that actually in order for men and women to be equal, we, we should try and cut down as many of those stereotypes as possible. Mm. And it's, it's, it's that unpicking that I think is important, but also one of the hardest things to, to work out what it is. Because it's these images of masculinity and man are so ingrained in everything we do. I watched a documentary called The Mask You Live In, and they talk about how the only way you can start to unpick that is is for men to physically remove themselves from the fertile ground that allows toxicity to to thrive. So if if men aren't actively making a step to change something, then being passive isn't going to make a difference. Mm. And so it requires action. Yeah, it does and I think that that's the scariest thing um for a lot of people, men or women, you know, making that change and and stepping out and and speaking about something that's perhaps scary to do or, or might make you feel awkward that's the only way that you make change regardless of the aspect of life and for me I think it's only been relatively recently that I've felt comfortable enough to vocalize how I feel um, which I think is quite silly because I, I I always say that Kirstie my other half she has a group chat with her with her girlfriends and every day they say how they feel and you know and, they, and Kirstie cries every day and and I compare it to what I do um, I've just realised that Kirsty cries every day. I'm not abusive. <laughs> she, she, she's just in touch with how she feels. She's in touch with her oh emotions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in contrast, I've got a group chat with my mates and and I'd like to think that I'm relatively forthcoming with expressing how I feel, but still we very rarely actually ask how we, we are with each other. 
And I think that sort of comparison between girls and guys at the moment, I think us guys do need to really try and show a bit more emotion. Um, and uh, and I think that's the way that we'll try and break down these boundaries. Mm. And I think the idea of asking whether somebody's okay, regardless of gender, there's often, an, and perhaps this is quite a British approach, but we, we shrug off the question like it's not a real question. Whereas actually, if we can place a little bit more intention behind that question when we're, we're asking people how they're doing and allowing them to open up with actually a real honest answer there's there's huge opportunity in such a simple part of our you know we walk into an office and you're like oh hi how are you doing and people don't you you know you you i'm fine I'm fine, mm. exactly. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and it's like we brush past, like there's not even space for emotion to come into it and actually creating environments where it's more acceptable or more invited to discuss those emotions is really important. And I think, you know, you, you've obviously more recently felt able to express yourself in that way. What do you think, what do you think's been a shift for you in finding a, a community or the relationships that have enabled you to do that? Uh, I think for me growing up, so I grew up in a relatively small town in Dorset um, where the music scene was, well, not not enormous. There weren't too many people that I could look to and say, oh, they left Dorset and they're like a megastar. I think we had some guy that went into blue and that was about it. Um, <laughs> they were great. No, no, they all good. Great. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I, so it, I was sort of in a bizarre situation where I had long hair, I had piercings and I went to a school where you played rugby or football or, or you weren't accepted. So I didn't really fit into like a category. And because of that, I... I sort of denied, I think, who I was really. So I'd write these songs and put them on MySpace and loads of people would, you know, take the mick out of me for doing it and kind of got like pretty rubbish for that. And I sort of didn't really want to carry on doing music for a while. And I think I had like a, a click moment, I, relatively recently actually, where I realised I'd been kind of hiding from the person that I was, which sounds quite cliche, but um, there's a real something about embracing the person that you are. And, you know, I, I always wanted to be... I always thought I had an impression of the person I wanted to be in my head. And then I realized that, you know, once I ticked off the goals of, you know, I'd, I'd you know, met, met my other half, I'd, I'd bought a house, had a car and, you know, toured the world and stuff. I still had those insecurities and I recognized it was because I was still running from the person that I really was. And I think once you, I, I'm now transparent with a lot of people, you know, I'd never have spoken about this 10 years ago being here now. And I think once you acknowledge that, we're all, I think that most people are good people. I don't think there's that many people that genuinely want to like bring you down and, and are just evil. I mean, we have them, but, uh, but I think most people yeah. are supportive and want to show compassion. And I think once I realize, once I flick that switch where I'm just going to be transparent and, and say how I feel and do kind of what I want within reason, there are still, still laws, but, uh, with, within reason, then that really, <laughs> really helped do? me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, then that, that really helped me for sure. Yeah. And I guess actually what you touched on there is really important because from from many people's perspectives, you achieved that kind of ultimate success so early on in your life. And that's what a lot of people would assume that their aspirations were. But you got there in the same sort of demons or, you know, things that, that you were experiencing pre-success was still was still with you. Um, I think that's really sort of important thing for for people to observe mm -hmm. um, and your experience is really valuable in that thank you i think that we all in life are taught to well we're encouraged to believe that we have to achieve a certain level of success so most people work nine to five monday friday for 50 years and retire and that's life done 
but I think it's quite unusual for people to achieve their goals early. So this is why there's so many people in, in the music industry that, you know, break down and, and, and go a bit crazy and off the rails. But that's because you're never really meant to achieve everything, really, because we work all of our lives to to retire. But you imagine if you, you do enough to be able to just kind of finish when you're 20. And I think for me, like, I'm not saying that we were like Justin Bieber or anything, but I think in my head for the, you know, 10 years I was doing music before the band happened, I always thought getting signed was it and then my life would be sorted. And then we got signed and we sold out the first tour and we had the, the number one album and all that stuff. But I still had issues that I thought would just solve themselves. And I think we need to maybe realign what it really means to to be content and successful and, and take away sort of the superficial stuff. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, I I bought a car and, and I still, you know, six months later, I was like, well, I, like that's not solved it. Like, and then I want another car, and it's like that's not what that's not what success means. And I think it's we always say that it's not about you know like items and money, but we actually need to start believing that. And that's sort of arguably the problem with consumerism and capitalism to an extent. We're encouraged to strive for the next and better thing when we're not acknowledging that what we have as humans can be enough to find fulfillment. And and now and of course it's you know it's a it's a process a journey we're all still growing and figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But if you have to if you were to have to define what success looks like for you now, what would that what would that be? <laughs> it's uh, I mean I'm going to try and say something that's not like cliche and say like family and stuff. <laughs> Give us a cliche. Uh, but also <laughs> if cliche is honest, <clears throat> then it's welcome. I think I you know what I think I think for me I've I've gone through a massive kind of bizarre journey and. I think being able to express how you feel to the closest people around you is really, really important. And it took me a long time to do that. And I think, you know, meeting, I, I date, like the start of the band, like I dated loads of different girls and like actresses and stuff, but I never felt like I could open up to open up to them in that way. Um, and I think, you know, meeting, meeting Kirsty and I've got like a really small group of really close friends back in Dorset now and, and the band boys around me and like managers and stuff like they are my really, like my core circle. And if you, if happiness to me is to have that circle that you know you can rely upon and they prop you up but you prop them up as well and I think that's really hard to achieve I think especially in London we're so used to this I'll go to members club and, and mingle with all these people and do that three nights a week but that's just like that's so rubbish that's not that's not stable or, or success and it's like yeah I have that membership but like I know that's superficial and that, that they're not my friends and I think finding that real genuine group of people that you can rely on and that rely on you that's that's success for me I think Ultimately, real connection is valuable, mm -hmm. and real yeah. connection is what humans want and need. Mm. And like we were saying before, I I went on holiday with my close male friend, and I've never I've never spent a week alone with just my close male friend, mm. and it felt like such a safe space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of society. And London is obviously like a bubble for it, but I think this is this is is quite widespread in terms of there isn't a safe space particularly for men to actually open up and share their feelings mm. and with other men especially like I've, I've been to some men's circles some better than others there were some that were actually still quite a toxic environment mm. but i think it's really important and valuable for for men to create connection because that's what we i think grow up actually avoiding mm. because we're scared of uh, what does that mean if i show my emotion what does that mean if i tell someone i love them if i was 10 and told my male friend i loved him Imagine, imagine what everyone else would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think, I think that's part of, in terms of taking steps forward. I think creating those safe spaces is, is crucial. How did you 
like first approached the topic like with your bandmates was it hard to actually open up initially or was it always like that it was um it was strange because we so in the very early days when there was three of us in the band connor kind of joined as we were getting signed but the band had been going behind the scenes for like a year we were sharing a hotel room the three of us for like a year and then when connor came along we had two people sharing in rooms for like two years after that so whilst on the surface you think we'd be like i mean we were we were the closest and closest of of friends and still are like brothers but i think it's i don't don't really know what it is but i think when you're speaking just then i thought a lot of us definitely people our age like when when we're when we're growing up guys are encouraged to be competitive with their with their male peers you know whether whether and I think sports great and stuff, but you just think about it like all through life, like you know you're, you're playing you're playing sport, you know like football and rugby, or you're playing on the computer where it's always a constant battle, literally, um, of of winning and beating. And I think maybe that's part of the issue. Like instead of striving to be better than your male peers, we we should maybe be in a position where we all want to get to that that top tier together. Um, so maybe that was something. But I think for me. Whilst I was very, very close to to my to my mates in in the band, it was because I'd never really been brought. My parents were amazing, and this isn't targeted at them, but most guys aren't really brought up um, in a way that they know how to manage their emotions or feelings. And I think it's it's because I don't know what it was like for you guys at school and stuff, but we were never encouraged to. You know, it's amazing now that there's so many uh, avenues that people can can mm. go to when they're, when they're struggling. But I didn't really have any of that, and no one did. And I was dealing with these bizarre things, you know, like singing these songs on MySpace about girls, and like, and everyone was like, "That's weird. Like, why are you doing that? Like, that that's not really what guys do." So I had all these bizarre feelings, and I didn't really know how to channel them. So yeah, it, it was it was weird with the boys in the band because I knew that I could like trust them with everything, but I just felt embarrassed and awkward to mm-hmm. say to them like, "I don't really enjoy." The band at the moment like I don't really care if we do another show again or not and whatever and I think the problem is that every day that you suppress it it gets worse and the truth is if on the first couple of times I'd said to one of them like oh like having a bit of like you know a bit a bit of a bad day then it may, maybe could have been nipped in the bud but I think the problem the problem that we have is we let things fester us guys and it goes over and over and then it gets to the point where it's like it's so bad that you're like well I can't burden someone else with this mm. and it's just about acknowledging that yeah maybe you could have well we could avoid that if we do it earlier well, this this is from my own experience as well this is something I've I don't understand why it happens but we push it to the point of having to dismantle our own self image before we mm. realize that there's something wrong mm. like for me a few years ago it it took me getting to the point where i didn't want to be on the planet anymore for me to realize there's something wrong that mm. maybe about the way that i'm acting maybe about the people that i'm surrounding myself with and it's it's absolutely baffling to me that a lot of men and this is why like male suicide is so high a lot of men just wait until that point of this is the end of the world yeah, until like, yeah, I need yeah. to change something. And, and I think what's important is that we allow men some sort of way of releasing that before it gets to that point to ease that internal conflict. Yeah, it's that keep calm and carry on thing again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, And the reality is no one's calm, but we're all carrying on. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, but something you said, James, a moment ago with children and teenagers being in the playground with boys striving to be better than each other. There is actually, I remember from, from my experience of being at school, there was an element of competition between girls of who was closer, like who knew that person's secrets. Mm. And so it was, it's almost a complete polar opposite where 
whether or not either of them are totally healthy is probably another conversation. But hmm. that girls are so encouraged to to share and discuss and to and by doing so, you're going to you avoid getting to that crisis point. Of course, generalizing through you know gender stereotypes, but the intervention is there just through the culture at such a young age that we really don't we really don't have with with boys and the you know if you think of boys being dropped off at school and not wanting to kiss their mum at the at mm-hmm. the front gates or you know the the um affection is is seen is deemed by other boys as homosexuality mm-hmm. and that there's an issue in that in itself that homosexuality is seen as weaker mm-hmm. and it we're so far removed from allowing or we have been so far removed from allowing boys and then men the men that they grow into um from being allowed to actually recognize what their experience is and so i don't you know those those crisis points may happen but not necessarily from like waiting to that point no. but them not even actually not recognizing and understanding that that's what what they're experiencing and if if we're not if boys aren't uh, sort of encouraged to be emotional from early years, then you get to a point where if people are unable to manage their emotions and affection and and anger at the same time, then it you know it can stem into having older males that feel really repressed, don't really know how to behave, and then yeah, absolutely end up you know abusing their wives and stuff because they don't know how to manage their emotions and have never been nurtured and and told this is you know it, this is perfectly acceptable to to be openly expressionate about how you feel. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to happen from a a younger age, for sure. Mm. I just finished reading um, Robert Webb's book, uh, How Not to Be a Boy, which is excellent, if you haven't read it, it's great. And he basically says, any emotion just very easily turns into anger. Absolutely. And anger is is like, oh, I'm feeling something. It must be anger. Let's let it out as anger. And that is the most dangerous thing because there is a sort of dominance hierarchy. Men are traditionally not in all cases, but men are stronger or or, um, able to exert their power more. And so when it becomes so much more toxic, when they naturally revert to anger and they have the ability to cause harm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think also that that if you think about it, it's it's not ridiculous to to just understand why that's how men feel. They have to sort of like express their feelings because again if you go back to how kids well guys are brought up you know it's those that soldier mentality again Mm. that fireman stuff and and you think like how you you know you watch these films like one of my favorite films of all time is the longest day and it's like a john wayne thing from like the 60s Mm. or something and it's like the men that are successful you know they they were really violent and aggressive and they come back the heroes so it's like it's not it's not weird to see how these people put these puzzles together in their mind thinking well if i'm aggressive then you know i can i can be the hero it's a yeah it's a weird one I think bringing, I think, you know, in any conversation around gender issues, it's really important to include multiple genders. And and this isn't just a men's issue. And actually, I remember one of my earliest memories, probably the the only time I was allowed to go to Toys R Us. I think I'd got into a a, a new, it was going to a new school or I, I can't remember the context. But I had Barbies and... I played with dolls and I was going to Toys R Us to buy a husband for my Barbies. And my dad took me and I went over to the Barbie um, display and went to pick up a Ken. And my dad said, oh, no, you don't want a Ken. You want an action man. 
And and so I ended up having an action man as the male role model in this Barbie oh. family that I then played with for the the coming years. Mm. And of course, that's you know that's my dad's perspectives have shifted since this is. 20-something years ago now. But it's ingrained in in girls as well mm-hmm. of what boys and men should, in inverted commas, be like. And I actually think that it's, it's really important not to overlook the responsibility that we as women have in enabling that conversation to open up and to shift as well. Well, that so again, from a sort of personal perspective, when I was going through a really tough time, what f- helped me in immeasurable ways was the way that Annie helped and Mm -hmm. provided what I was saying before being a safe space and without that support and that understanding it's so difficult to move Mm. beyond what you're feeling or or what you internalizing as crisis yeah and same same with me with Kirsty like I felt sort of like unable to perhaps vocalize how I felt to another guy but having like a girl there was um you know I was <laughs> I was singing about girls so why couldn't I speak speak to a girl about it and and that really helped and and I think again you know gender equality is only going to be achieved if if all of us come together you know mm. and it benefits everyone and I guess for both both of you you were going to use the word fortunate I think fortunate enough to be in <laughs> relationships although I'm yeah. slightly biased on I one count of them. myself as fortunate um, so right. <laughs> um, but if that isn't the case for, for somebody you know it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody that you're in a romantic relationship mm-hmm. with mm. finding that you know if, if there is a, a barrier to talking to men then I guess actually opening up the conversation with women who might be slightly more used to having those more emotional conversations and then that becoming a springboard for opening up the conversations when you know when you're feeling more in, in touch with your emotions to then be able to translate that into conversation with men mm. so that actually feels like quite a, a good place to start I guess mm. one of the back to the 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 Ken action man point of view <laughs> so as well as that being seen as this sort of manifestation of what a man should be physically mm. Ken slash action man are also maybe typical of what uh, why male body image is actually quite a problem because mm. we, we see in the media, we see on magazines, we see in, in literally action man who has got a six pack and is mm. in the best shape of ever, ever anyone's ever been in. That is also a pressure that I think you've spoken about it a lot mm. as well. You, I, I saw on Instagram TV where you, you said one of the things you hate the most at the moment is the word diet mm. um, yeah. and the idea yeah. that we have to as well as this the stereotype of what a man should be in terms of the, our emotions and our actions of how we should look because mm-hmm. obviously you were in uh, I'm a celebrity and yeah, there was a lot yeah. of pressure around the way you look and I think that's affected you for quite yeah, a while yeah i mean i so i mean the whole the whole issues with with food for me started when i was probably 15 when i was much younger like a child i was probably slightly overweight but then when i grew upwards i kind of went inwards um and it <laughs> was the, amazing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it was the time of there was a couple of american clothing companies that just sort of were the, the trend in the uk mm. um people probably know what they are and all the branding <laughs> was you know guys on the beach with abs and i was bear in mind going back to the guy i've said that i was before you know i had long hair piercings and um didn't really have many many guy friends mm. um I thought that in order to be popular to to achieve success and to be accepted, I needed to look like those shopping bags. Um, <laughs> and I think now, looking back, a lot of guys obviously felt the same. And so I went from from not really caring about the gym and stuff to just an extreme diet where I 
it wasn't a diet because it lasted for years. It was just a lifestyle change where I, you know, I didn't eat bread for a year. I didn't have any ketchup for a year. I'd, you know, I'd have like various different powders that were just synthetic sugar effectively um, three times a day. I When I was touring in the earlier days of the band, I, I'd go around with these big um, tubs of, of this of this protein and creatine and BCAAs and all these bizarre tablets. I didn't really know what was in them. Um and I realized that my life was being dominated by food. Um, and in my head, it's interesting because I thought that I was fueling my body in order to a- acquire this this physique. And the reality is I was, I was really starving myself, but also destroying my, the, the person I was. I was really, really moody. I always have this memory. We were in America on tour with the boys like very early on. And uh, we'd had a day like, at this lake and off day in the middle of tour and uh and we wanted to get some food and the only place that was open was this barbecue place and it was before i was vegetarian so i was like fine i just have chicken and rice because that's all chicken and broccoli i didn't even have rice because that was apparently the devil um (laughs) but they wouldn't they wouldn't do me like plain chicken and i had a massive like i just like exploded when the boys i'm not eating here can't eat here there's nothing i can eat here and they were like for god's sake like this is ridiculous and i didn't realize you know like in those small isolated moments you don't you don't realize that it's a massive issue but when you sort of compile what's happened over the years and years i realized that i was an awful person to to be around and again meeting kirsty really helped because she she sort of showed me some some moderation with that but actually going into the jungle reaffirmed that I still have massive issues with food because when I came out I'd lost like five kilograms I was the lightest that I've been in five years or something um and I saw the pictures when I came out and I was like, oh, I really like how I look and I was like that's really really weird because I've gone through such a journey with my food and I and I accepted that I was in such an awful place back then but I was like but I still I love how I how I look at the moment I have like like six pack again and stuff and it and it was really weird because i even though i know it's such a dangerous mindset to have i i loved it and i and you know with every week that passed when i was in back out of the jungle and i was putting on weight again i was like oh like i miss it and the reality is the only reason i was starting to change my physique is because i was drinking water because i was so dehydrated in the jungle and like literally wasting away I, you know, Which when I doesn't start, sound healthy. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. But I think that the main thing that I learned that that's my biggest, I suppose, part of advice is you're never satisfied when you go on that really strict regime with exercise because. You know, I had like an eight, I had five percent body fat, which um, which most people don't ever have when I was 5%. my leanest. Yeah, which which I and I was never really happy I was like I want to get lower like let's go and you know it's like 0% or 1% you're dead yeah you need that fat like, you, you live, really do really. need it um, yeah. but when I was at, at that position I was like well oh but my arms aren't that big so like maybe I could get bigger arms but the point is it's infinite regression you're never satisfied it's a bit like you know you see these bankers that always want more money it's the same thing you, you're never going to get to a physique where you're, you're happy ever and I think that's why I'm really against the term like diet um, or people that are on strict bodybuilder routines those pictures that we see on billboards they're one they're edited but two like someone has worked for six months to get that physique and they can only sustain that for a week before you know it literally kills you so I can't I can't stress enough how that's not an achievable um, physique to have and and even you know even now like my, my daily life is dominated by food decisions and I hate it but it's always like a scale in my head like weighing up like eating a biscuit and then you know like reality and it, every time i eat it's the same thing um but it's just about acknowledging 
that, that that's going on in my head and just taking a step back and being like actually no look let's be rational about it I think that's really important actually the the kind of being able to acknowledge that that's where you are and that's mm. you know and that's the conversation that's happening um, and and not adding another layer of sort of beating yourself up for the fact that that's how how you're feeling but it's it's really interesting isn't it that you you can be that aware and know that the way that you're thinking is is kind of you know you came out of the jungle and you're like oh but I do you know I, I do like how I look there but actually I'm picking that and thinking why like where has that come mm-hmm. from and it is so ingrained in all media that we see and and now we have access to such an extensive amount of kind of content and media on not even a daily basis on like a moment by moment basis it's inevitable that that's going to tr- be triggering for us all it's, it's an addiction genuinely um it's like you know smokers know that smoking kills them but they still smoke and it's the same with me and food like i know that it's ridiculous but i can't just turn off thinking yeah, that of and, and like i've had friends over the years that used to be like bodybuilders and and like i and now they don't even go to the gym and i'm like even though like i'm like i'm really happy that they've done it i'm like how can you do that because it, it controls my life like going to, i have to go to the gym every day and i have to still eat healthy food and i can't not because i don't know it's just it's just like the things I've got going on in my brain, but it's like I, I I can't break out of that cycle, even though you know it's like ten years on. It's it's a weird one. But, yeah, um, I think with the the bodybuilding thing, I mean, you you can take healthy eating to an extreme, which is basically what dieting is, and it's 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 still a form of addiction. Whether it's yeah. you're trying to be as thin as possible, whether you're trying to be as big as possible, mm-hmm. I think a six pack is such an arbitrary like goal that we that for some reason everyone is like well i think it's changing a little bit but yeah. everyone's like puts that on a pedestal and like that is the thing to achieve and but you it's, think why well, why <laughs> sometimes it's impossible for people to achieve you could that. have a six pack but be a terrible person <laughs> well yeah exactly you could also yeah, yeah, yeah. be a really great person without a six pack yeah we yeah. sort of forget that yeah, yeah. I, I i think the whole sort of muscly and the the bodybuilding thing i guess is it probably stems from Boys trying to prove their masculinity. Yeah, and that competitive athleticism, you know. And also what you think women want or Mm. or men want from you. Mm. Um, You know, sexually, that's definitely something. As you're going back to what you were saying before, it's it's down to, you know, everyone. Because I thought growing up that girls would want me more if I looked like that. And that's why I did it as well. So um, Mm. definitely down to us all to change. I was listening to a podcast earlier and it it was talking about the idea that we've especially boys we have this false idea of uh, the difference between hard and soft mm. and we we always grow up thinking we need to be hard and we need to be stoic and we need to not be not not waver in the face of any sort of pressure and that's physical and emotional pressure yeah. and we we put being hard on a pedestal and we obviously physically trying to prove that we're hard by showing that we're in the right shape for it but actually the problem with being hard is that you're you're not malleable you can't go with the flow you can't mm. change if something goes wrong yeah, which I can't. I'm absolutely useless with it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it. It ruins my life, really. But, but then being soft actually is such a wonderful thing. Like to be able to to flow and change and adapt and show your emotions and and uh, be like water, like Bruce Lee says. It's like one of the most important things to do. And actually, how we get that message to younger generations of boys is is a hard thing to think about. Mm. It is happening. Like we, you know, it's happening slowly and not, you know, change always feels like it's not coming fast enough. But there are 
demonstrations of how the conversation is shifting. We were speaking to somebody yesterday who said that actually it's no longer like a couple of years in in, in each generation, but actually like a 15-year-old to a 16-year-old has got a totally different type of yeah. references yeah. And, and things are moving so fast that there's so much opportunity to shift these stereotypes and shift these issues that are uh, have we've mm. carried with us for you know, since yeah, the Victorian yeah, times yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. Well, how, I wonder, what's your relationship like with social media? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> so obviously with the, with the band, we started on social media. Like the first thing we did was put something on YouTube. And I find it difficult because in order to reach fans around the world, you have to be active on social media. And, and I get that. And I think social media offers us an abundance of of great opportunity but i personally have to recognize when it gets too much so sort of i I guess probably two months ago i realized that i well actually again going back to the jungle when i came out of the jungle it was i felt the the most positive i mean apart from the the body image side of it as in social media wise i felt really positive because i didn't Mm. crave going on social media Mm. um i didn't look at any comments or anything that the press wrote about me on there i just thought not one it was like okay great cool move on like i'm happy because because that that process broke me down to what the core elements of like humanity was. So you know, compassion, support, caring about each other. So that was great. But then, obviously, over time, I realised that I being in the jungle gave me and the band more opportunities, and there was more things happening on social media. So I got it again, and before I knew it, I was more hooked than I'd ever been before. And I realised that I wasn't going on social media to communicate with fans. I wasn't even looking at that. It was just to, you know, see what's going on. You know, what am I missing? What are the other jungle mates doing? Blah, blah, blah. And actually, I got to a point and Kirsty said to me, like, what are you doing? Like, we're sat together in the house, meant to be watching whatever it was. But you're on your phone and it's like, what are you doing? What are you getting from from that? And, and I realised that, you know, scrolling doesn't give us anything it takes from us and what i did is i i don't have social media now apart from when i'm posting so i install the apps mm. post the picture and delete delete that's the apps. what will does I did, yeah do the exact yeah, same thing. yeah and, and it's one of those things and i say it's a lot i've got a mate called josh who's um he he does a lot on social media and he's hilarious but he thinks i'm crazy for doing it he's like well how do you know what's going on and i was like i have the news app that sends me notifications so anything that's genuinely relevant you know if something massive happens with brexit in the or world something, then i know <laughs> but i don't need to know what kylie jenner's putting in her bum this week <laughs> Do you know what i mean it's like i don't i don't care that doesn't that doesn't yeah. give me anything yeah. it, it takes you know we're, we're like sponges and all this information that's been thrown at us and half of it's a load of rubbish that's not that's not what makes me a better person so uh, that's uh, I mean. but people survived before social media yeah we, we might, survived we... so you know we're, we're <laughs> of a generation that existed yeah you know on the cusp of social media but it put yeah. it puts such a pressure on us first of all to always be switched on yeah so yeah. like whatsapp for example like I feel a pressure to reply within five minutes so because it's like it's buzzing at me, it's telling me, and it's. I mean, social media is designed to to hack our brains, right? Mm. So it's you know, everyone knows that, but it still happens. Yeah, we still like accept that it's happening, and we we get a, a buzz from getting X amount of likes on a picture, and so I try to let social media not define who I am, but I find that so impossible because it. It's literally everywhere. Like, we, you can't escape it. And I feel like I'm now trained mm. to think in social media um, speak. It's and- about, you know, balancing that space as as opportunity for, for, for some people with the fact that it's so quickly become such an enormous part of, 
of our day-to-day or moment-to-moment lives mm. has come in so fast. The, the problem with it is, is as people, we've always wanted to be accepted and liked. And that's that's before social media came along. But now it's given us like, it's amplified that massively, hasn't it? And uh, and also we, we, we've somehow put a value on something that's not real, meaning that in order to feel fulfilled or rewarded, you know, you get X amount of likes or you get a follow from someone that you like. And I think that's really scary because actually it doesn't mean anything, but it kind of, it adds a new element of hierarchy on there. There's people out there that, that you know, I was going to say fans of us, but they're really not accounts that have got like 20, 30,000 followers that all they do is just spew hatred at everyone. Mm. But because they have like 20,000 followers, for some reason that puts them higher in the pecking order to other people. And I think I think it's a scary, scary thing. But I think there's something definitely that you're right about the whole like thing. I feel a sense of failure if I put something up and it's got like half the amount of likes mm. and and the irony is the thing that tends to get less likes from my experience is something that's more personal to me or mm. something that I do with like a charity or like speak about the environment you something know I, meaningful yeah well yeah I could put like a boomerang off of me kissing Kirsty and get like 150,000 <laughs> likes but then I speak about the environment and it gets 20,000 likes yeah. it's like what distorted reality is that where like that's the level of importance and it's yeah. um I think we all need to recognise it's a little bit rubbish, isn't it? Well, it's, um, a, it's an algorithm. Like it's, yeah. it's a machine. The whole the whole thing is is technology. I mean, there's there's humans at the end of it, double tapping on a picture. But ultimately, the amount of people that see it is is based on whether you win the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing, like not to, you know, not to overlook, is that there's the one side of social media that we talk about a lot, which is sort of like the influencers and the celebrities and people with very big you know, quantified by numbers and likes, Mm. profiles. But actually, all of these conversations exist for every single person that has an account because we all now have an influence in some way with what we choose to share and the way that we choose to consume it, whether or not it's a a conscious choice is another thing. But, you know, these these conversations are happening between school children and the same need for that acknowledgement through likes and follows and that kind of thing is being built into the relationships and the connections that people are making and it's quite scary for what it is to be connected to people and on the flip side it also ups up opens up so many opportunities for conversations like this Mm. you know yeah yeah i think one thing that i i always say is social media has become like the third parent in a lot of children's lives which in some ways is great so mm. you you open your eyes to different religions races you know gender and and that's that's amazing but countering that you have everything opposite you know like racism sexism all that stuff that that anyone from any age can can see and i think it's it's a bit scary where where anyone can access anything you know there's been times and i try my but i don't really reply to to too many tweets anymore especially not the bad ones but you know like i i did once um and i was pretty mean I, well they, they were <laughs> no, in fairness though it's they started it well it's stuff like you know when when like percy gets death threats and stuff like i some mm. like, i i, I used to reply to that kind of stuff and i'm like what are you doing like and i'd reply but then like without looking and then i'd do a few tweets and then before too long i got and they're like 13 year old girl mm. and i'm like 26 and i've just i've just like had a pretty heated argument with someone and then like 5,000 of my fans have had a go at this girl what's that doing for her mental state mm. and I think social media encourages, uh, encourages us to all have a say on something and make us feel like we're we can make a valid contribution in fields that perhaps we we shouldn't and I think before social media 
you know, there were, there were still issues, but, you know, we went to school and we learned things. And then we spoke about a, a said topic. Now, you know, something Boris Johnson could say something and then a 10 year old could could mm. weigh in on the argument without really understanding it. And, and I think it's a bit of a dangerous environment. It's like the Wild West, the Internet. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be great for debate and discussion, but other times it can be quite quite oppressive and I'm assuming that before social media or when you're not on social media you're not having a go at 13 year old exactly. girls exactly <laughs> I mean it's like the, the um, generations are blended on social media and as I say it can be great but I think it can be quite dangerous yeah. as well so we just have to be cautious about it I just be, don't be conscious yeah. 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 yeah totally well like you say there's, there's, a, there's value in the world of social media in having an opinion yeah. and more and more in the world now polarizing opinions are what gets heard mm-hmm. and so in in journalism if you're if, if a news organization is trying to have a conversation they're trying to get two sides of the argument it's going to be the person that adamantly feels really far right of this argument mm-hmm. and the adamant person that feels really far yeah, left yeah. and social media is just allows that sort of behavior to thrive mm. because if if we're going to have a platform that's open to everyone, you have to let everyone ha- have their say. And then, you know, that opens it up to any sort of opinion, whether it's fully formed or not, yeah, I think. Absolutely. But the other thing for me that it really emphasises is that, you know, comparison is the thief of all happiness. Mm. And I spend my time... Like, I could do something that... Actually, if I looked back a year ago, I'd be like, if I had achieved that, that would have been great. But then I would look at someone else who did that same thing and did it five minutes earlier than mm. me and maybe did it with a little bit more style and I like hate myself again. And I think that's what social media is really bad. And I think especially in the world of men and, and, and masculinity, is I compare myself to everyone all the yeah, time yeah, because yeah. I can see what they're all doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not healthy. No, it's not. And especially when the things that those accounts are putting up is is not real anyway. Like mm. I was friends with a, a really big Australian yoga influencer girl. I don't really know what to, to call her. You know, she was enormous like mm. back in the day. And I got chatting to her. This is before Kirsty, just, just for the record. Okay? Like, it's not a double thing. And I was like, oh, like all these pictures on the beach and she was doing all these bizarre positions. Amazing. But like she never really like, showed her face or anything. And uh, and she was like, yeah, it's because like it's a complete lie. Like the amount of time it takes me to edit these pictures and put in the sky and, and you know, make the, the sand whiter and all that stuff and like make me more tanned. It's like that's not real. And she was like really struggling mentally with mm. that. But the perception that the world sees is not you know, accurate. And I think that's what we need to remember. I always say that social media is like a natural selection process within ourselves or we only put up the best things and the best angles with the best edit and the best filter. Mm. And that encourages us into believing that that's achievable. And we're almost like, it's almost like a black mirror thing, isn't it? Where like you meet the real person behind the account and you don't really recognize them. And I think that's why it's so dangerous because if our brains are thinking that's normality, then, you know, how are we meant to rationalize daily struggle? Yeah, Mm. for sure. So I guess the beginning of our conversation or the title of the episode is how do we define man? Mm. And I guess that in itself perhaps flags a few a few things, the idea of there being a blueprint of, of what a man should be or is. But in, in this current time, if we were to assume that we're, we're on the right track or doing the best that we can to move in a positive direction with how we define masculinity, I'd be interested actually from both of you to hear what you think a healthier definition of what a man is would be? Hmm. I think that we should define masculinity the same way that we define femininity, meaning that the the attributes that you would want in a man should be the same for every person. I think when you start making, you know, divide lines between men and women, that's where it gets weird because then you associate something with a certain gender. 
think I think that men need to be emotional and show vulnerability, which is a big one. Compassion is something that that we all should feel for for each other. But I, I think it's just self acceptance, isn't it? And that's the same with with anyone, regardless of their background. I think there's no point trying to say I'm going to be Dwayne Johnson because, like, when you're like you're not like it's just that's <laughs> be not yourself yeah but, be the and, best version of you, you and, can and be. everyone says that and it sort of almost gets lost because they're, oh that's rubbish like mm. oh duh but it's like that's what we should be doing mm. you know it, it, that's the hardest thing to do to genuinely embrace the person that you are and and i think that's that's really the answer yeah. i guess and that's not man or woman that's no exactly just yeah, human. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 sure well yeah i mean science shows that uh, men and women are, are much more alike than they are different the differences get highlighted through like the way society brings us up and the, the language we use and you know it's all been said before but you know man up and gross mm. and balls boys grow up basically feeling like they need, they need to reject the feminine yeah exactly yeah. everything that may be perceived as feminine we need to push it away Don't, you know all of that stuff that's basically like be a man and, and nothing other than a man and nothing like a woman you fear what you're not and so if men are sort of trying to separate themselves from that entirely then it's just going to um perpetuate that yeah perpetuate the mm. problem isn't mm. it yeah so then how what what has been your learnings of or your your changes from how you might have perceived what it means to be a man or indeed a human um how's that shifted from growing up to to where you are now well it, for me the um the qualities that you strive for the qualities that I've strived for have changed drastically mm. you know so I would when I was younger, if I would like to write a list of the things that I wanted to be or be perceived as, maybe maybe it's an external thing, you know, it would be uh, cool or unique or uh, edgy. Nowhere on that list was, like you said, kind mm. or compassionate or vulnerable. And actually, we, for me, it's a shift of those things and the way I want to behave and treat other people that has changed drastically because instead of looking at myself and thinking oh I want to be the best I want to be mm. this I want to be that I want to achieve this I now measure the way that I have succeeded in the way that I treat other people mm -hmm. and you can you can't necessarily control how you feel you can't control your emotions but you can control how you react yeah and I used to react in a typically masculine said in inverted commas if you're listening to this and not watching it on camera, um, <laughs> in a typically masculine way, which was to think about myself mm. and to not think about what impact it was having on other people. And actually, I think it's so much more important to think about um, how you treat other people because that's kind of what you can really control. Mm. The, the, the word the word toxic masculinity, I think we need to separate that from masculinity in itself mm. because I think a lot of men can feel fear. I mean, the, the problem with the patriarchy is that um, it's supposed to say that men are succeeding and winning and, 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 and everything's going well, but actually it is bad for men as well, which is why then men struggle with the idea of patriarchy because it's making men suffer and women suffer. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. making everyone suffer. Hmm. So I think we need to, I mean, dismantle the patriarchy, but how do you do that? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think by dismantling uh, stereotypes for, for both yeah, men, men and, and women, women because they play into each other. So I guess with all of that in mind and, and that really positive shifting of, of the shape and, and definition or non-definition of, of how we see men, what can people do to encourage that shift further and steps that, that 
they can make in, in their own lives and their own communities to inspire that change? For me, communication is, is the key to absolutely everything. But I think, you know, we, we were saying at the start, you know, saying like, how are you doing? I'm fine. I think from a guy's perspective, it's with my friends, instead of just asking, oh, how are you doing? That's such a vast and scary question for a mm. lot of people, especially if they're struggling with things. I say like, oh, um, so how did you get on with something? Or like, if I know that there's something that's that's affecting them, I ask them about something in specific where they can't really dodge around the question. Mm. So, you know, like if my mates that's struggling with money, for example, or something, if, if there's something wrong with the car, I'd be like, oh, have you um, sort of been able to, to fix that thing yet? Or like, what are you thinking about that, that light on the car? And it opens up that initial conversation because, um, you know, if you say to someone, if someone's having like the worst time ever over months and months, and you're like, oh, you're right, mate. They'll be like, yeah, because they're like, I don't want to speak for an hour about that. But if you lead in with something that's direct, that really, that really, really helps, I, I think. Yeah, um, that's a really useful tool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's often, if it's hard to talk if someone is finding it hard to talk to someone what they need is an olive branch or an opening to be able to talk and an invitation to be able to talk and like you say how are you doing isn't necessarily that open invitation but if you have that personal connection to someone and you can start a conversation it doesn't have to be about how they're feeling sometimes just having a conversation yeah yeah is great about something that you care about or something that you're you're just interested in yeah and I guess that's sort of paving, putting a paving stone down, isn't it? It's like it doesn't mm. have to. We don't have to go fully into like a mm. unpicking your your entire history and emotions, but actually just giving them the opportunity to share something yeah. is a, is a seed of connection. That yeah, absolutely. And I think also that uh, doing some form of activity definitely from a guy's perspective that really helps because it is daunting if you know if you say to someone right I want to speak to you and you sit them down you're like right come on let's talk but if you're out you know I ride my bike a lot or go on like a walk or something like Mm. when I'm on tour like I tend to go hiking a lot with like our manager and that's the perfect time to talk because Mm. guys like to be and girls but like you know from men mental health guys like to a lot often be active and and do things where their mind can sort of I don't know escape almost and um and I think that's that's the good time that I'd pick. I think yeah. there is something quite scary about just having a one-on-one conversation. But, you know, doing that activity that gets you active, it might, you know, allow you to let go a little bit of that of that pressure. But but also, I mean, it's, it's maybe a cliche, but conversations like this are important because people who are held up as role models or as, as, as successful, you know, from certain points of view, it's important that... That we do create a new blueprint, but not one that's like hard, like I said, one that's fluid and one that means that we show that people who are, you know, at the, the what's deemed as the top of society are also feeling like that and that people do speak out about the way they're feeling because it opens, again, it opens a barrier to the people who are feeling like that, who feel like there's no hope. So just to actually see that, that there's other people in the same boat. Yeah, and I definitely, I think, you know, the, the celebrities or the actors or whatever, that other people that perhaps in the past have played into that stereotype so that really like macho muscly um actor in that war film or something if they come out and speak about it you're like oh, okay so like mm. all those people that i thought were pushing me to be that sort of thing actually understand how i feel and that's definitely that's that sort of the olive branch that you uh that you were saying before not that there's a problem i mean if you are a, a big muscly <laughs> actor or a, you know a, a soldier or this or that it's, it's fine just, just be who you are and what you want to be not what mm. you think everyone else wants you to yeah, be. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. it's important yeah, yeah. 
Excellent. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, thanks. James. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. been great to chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoyed that conversation and we hope you did too. If you did and you want to ask us any questions or talk about it, we are at Can We Just Ask on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And also please do subscribe to the Can We Just Ask podcast and leave us a review if you are enjoying it because it really does make a big difference. And finally, everything in the conversation today was based on our own personal experience. We are absolutely not professionals. If you need somebody to talk to, we really love the work that The Mix is doing. They provide essential support to under 25s and a really good place to start if you're looking for a professional conversation or some advice. So we will leave all of their details below in case you want to get in touch with them. And we'll see you next time.